Good evening, good evening, good evening. It's another KG Fifth Ward Wildcat and Doc podcast. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you for listening. Thank you for telling your friends about the podcast. Colleagues, how are you doing? Doing well today. Doing okay. Doing well. We're in the heat of the summer. Yes. Yes, it is. Especially around here in Texas. Stay out of that heat in the middle of the day. Drink plenty of fluids. Drink plenty of water. Not just fluids. That's right. Water. 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 Nothing like it. Yes, sir. It's good for everything. That's right. Now we're going to do something a little bit different here. We just off the air. Touched on one thing, but I'm going to talk about that third. First, I want to mention this. Acknowledge the Houston Baptist University women's basketball team was honored by the Women's Basketball Coaches Association, the WBCA, for their academic achievement. The Huskies were ranked 12th in NCAA Division I with a cumulative 3.514 GPA. So I want to give a shout out to Coach Finney, who is a listener and supporter of the podcast. Yes, he is. And, and her players. Yes, they are. Read this quote from. Oh, that's true. The team does listen too. That's right. Even <laughs> yeah, my bulletin board material. <laughs> <laughs> Called <laughs> me out. I was like, oh, yeah. okay, no mm-hmm. problem. <laughs> quote from uh, Coach Finney. I'm so proud of our players for this incredible year in the classroom. This is a fantastic accolade for the efforts to attain this recognition from the WBCA. is a testament to our players' hard work and the support they receive from our academic staff here at HBU. End quote. All 13 players on the roster earned at least a 3.0 or better in the spring semester, while four members had a perfect 4.0. Well, I really don't want to butcher these names, but so players forgive me if I mess them up here. Don't worry, I'll hear about it. Oh, yeah. I'm sure I will, too. Uh, oh, yeah, I'll hear about it, too. Uh, first, 4.0, Macy Elston. Next, Heidi, how you pronounce this, Wildcat? S-I-H-B-O-L-A, Savola. Heidi Savola, Janice Steenholt was third, and Anna Strickland. 4.0s. I, last time I got that was in high school. I didn't get that in college. Doc, I'm we, we waiting for your answer because I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm like KG. College, it didn't, I didn't see that. I got it over summer school. I may have got it over. Well, that's a good point. I may have got it over summer session. I may have done that. Yeah. When I yeah. had. Six hours. So, I mean, oh, I, yeah, I, yeah, I may have done that. Yeah, going on. That's, that's, yeah, yeah. I, I, I can agree with that. And yeah. then, uh, last but not least, uh, help me with this one. W-I-E-B-K-E. Weepke Bruns earned a 4.0 GPA well, in the you, fall guys. and the spring semester. So, smart. Talented players on that on that squad. So, hey. kudos to Coach Finney and the squad there. And the coaching staff is on the road. And Coach Finney is in New Orleans uh, recruiting. So, good luck. Hopefully they'll sign some players and see some talent and bring it back here to Houston in the Sharp Gym in the Southland Conference. The Southland is 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 it's a competitive conference, but it's also a wonderful conference. Real quick, who do you think had the the uh, top GPA in Division One women's basketball? Stanford. Wow. Nope. And the only reason I'm saying that nope. is because uh, Duke. Nope. I, I guess I'm going to get beat down there because I'm... Based on what I'm reading right here. Harvard. Yeah. This is the sentence I see right here. You tell me if I'm comprehending this correctly. UMKC had an NCAA Division One best. 3.6... Wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. You're talking... The, the okay. rules in, in Kansas City? 
That's what I'm saying. So you interpret that same way I am, right? Yeah. At best. So yes. On the women's basketball. You and yes, Missouri Kansas City. Missouri Kansas City had an NCAA Division One bench. Wow. Three point six two eight team GPA. Wow. They should be very proud of themselves. Yeah, that's impressive. Because that's that's a lot of work. That's a lot of hard work. That's a lot of motivation and self-discipline. We're going to continue our academic theme with a so. with shout shout out to uh, the Rice Owls men's basketball team. Yep, received its second straight uh, NABC, which is the National Association of Basketball Coaches Team Academic Excellence Award. The Owls earned the honor by posting a cumulative team GPA higher than 3.0 in the 2013-14 season. It was a 3.2 or higher. All four of the Owls eligible upperclassmen were honored by the association. So that's back-to-back years for them. We expect that from Rice, don't we, sir? Yes, we do. Hey, ever since that day we were by the library and somebody mentioned they was doing 21 hours. 21 hours at Rice. That still blows me away. <laughs> I mean, both of us went to our knees and we had 21 hours at Rice. That's a lot of work. All right. I'm going to butcher these names, too. Well, the first one, I'm sure. Uh, these were upperclassmen honored individually by the NABC for the Owls. B-A-H-R-O-M, Barum. Barum, last name F-I-R-O-Z-G-A-R-Y. Come on, Mr. Owl, what are you? Barum Furosgary. And Austin Ramlock, as well as seniors Dan yeah. Gearer and Seth, Seth Gearhart. Congratulations to all four of them. Absolutely. Third, as I said, we're going to touch on. Third, today, the Houston Dynamo acquired a U.S. Superstar. men national team member, four-time participant in the World Cup, Demarcus Beasley, in a trade with Toronto FC. Thoughts? And I, I like this. I like saying this, reading this little opening in the Chronicle. The Dynamo signed Demarcus Beasley, one of the greatest names in U.S. national team history, after trading Warren Crewell to Toronto FC. No question about it. That that is that's huge, and that's that's huge for this city and for the soccer fans here in this area, within driving distance of the. Uh, Dynamo Stadium, and I'm saying it just like that driving distance, the Dynamo Stadium, because that next big home game, once everything gets resolved, that will be a packed house because that guy is good. He's real good, and and he and, and that's a helpmate with, to to go along with um, um, uh, Davis, Brad Davis, Brad Davis. Mm-hmm. That changes things in that in that division. It needs to. I didn't realize how poorly the Dynamo were playing this year. Very Struggling. Cool. They're like Very ninth, cool. I think, in the Eastern Conference. Yeah. Very Red cool. won the tweet early today. Yeah, they hadn't won. Things been, what, six games? Yeah. At least. I think they have like, what, 19 games left? Something yeah. like that. But Beasley is 32. As you said, he played in the last four uh, World Cup appearances for the U.S. He's always been there. He's switched the position. Uh, you talking about an individual that uh, keeps himself in shape. Nobody quite like Beasley. He played in all the games. Right. You're talking about the U.S. played a lot of distance. He played against players that were bigger than him in some places who were offensively skilled at the top level. He handled his own in every circumstance just about. Uh, he's a tireless worker. 
Uh, he has changed in terms of what his responsibility on the pitch was. His first part of the career, he was more on the offensive side of the ball, moving forward almost as a midfielder that was on the offensive side. Uh, position players, now he switched to a midfielder more on the defensive side of the ball, helping a, a line that, a defensive line that a lot of people question. Uh, we kind of, you know, forget that because they played pretty well from a defensive standpoint in the World Cup. But going in there, there was a lot of questions on that defensive uh, line. And he was one of the pillars from the outside component of it that allowed the guys in the middle to play as strong as they did uh, without really worrying about somebody coming down on the onside of that wing. And he was a tr- transition player that could keep control of the ball quite a bit, uh, which the U.S. team had major troubles with. Uh, but he was able to do it on his side. So I think from that side, it's very good for the Dynamos to see uh, him come back to the States. He's played, you know, 10, 8 to 10 years overseas with someone, you know, just recently in Mexico, but he's played in Europe. So his experience is there. He's a good teammate from everybody says in terms of well-liked. So he should be able to push this team in terms of discipline and, and that proverbially term that I always like to use, but playing. Not necessarily what some people say the right way, but playing to a level uh, that is conditioned, uh, preparing in a lot of ways will lead to winning soccer. So I think he'll do that. Obviously for the Dynamo in terms of branding, uh, the second second to none, being able to bring somebody from the U.S. team in uh, that you can celebrate and watch. So I think that's a good component to watch him. So ticket sales should be uh, better than usual particularly if you can start adding on some winning with him, uh, which is really going to be the end of the measure. Uh, but he basically is on about a three-year contract. So even if you don't quite finish off as strong as you want this year, you open up the season with him next year. So I think for the markability of the league uh, and the Dynamo in itself, I think it's a really good thing. And it's good to see that the Dynamo – uh, like they have in the past, they're always pushing to see how they can get better because they had to trade somebody off. And the way MLS um, is standing, you know, it's not quite like you think about uh, NBA with hard caps. They have a hard cap, but they had to reposition themselves with Toronto that had the first ability to sign them. But Toronto has a couple of big-time star players. So cap-wise, they probably couldn't get him. But to go out there and make that trade, Put them put put themselves in position to be at the top to get that done. I think it was commendable for the Dynamo. It looks at least puts them in striking position to try to make a run in the playoffs, which they've done the last couple of years. So it's par for the course of what they're doing. So at the end of the day, I think this is a very solid move for the Houston Dynamo. Yeah, the Dynamo traded because they were talking allocation here. Dynamo was 14th and traded up to get traded, you know, to acquire the the top pick in allocation and some cash uh, to, and then to select the Marcus Beasley. So it's, it's a big deal. I've only att- I attended one match uh, this this season with a high school buddy of mine who has season tickets. They, Dynamo uh, defeated the Columbus crew 1-0. A lot of fun. I've heard good things about going Dynamo games. It's a lot of fun. Great. Yeah, it's the atmosphere was great. So I'm probably going to go a few more times. We've already had a request to have a Probably discuss more MLS in our podcast. We can do that. We're talented and diverse enough to get that done. So we'll, we'll do that. Um, and, uh, just toss this out to, here to, uh, the person who, uh, who knows who I'm talking to. Como están todos?
keep that in mind, listeners, for future. Just file that away. <laughs> I like that touch. <laughs> Put that new in. Since we're talking about a little bit of MLS soccer, you obviously have the big uh, game today, Sporting Kansas City and Manchester City. City, yes, get yeah. that right. Not Man U, Man City. Man, Man City. City. Yeah, I can be some folks jumping. They should. Uh, we understand. We we speak it as we know it. Uh, this is a friendly. I think it's big as for both sides for the uh, uh, teams coming in. Whether it's Manchester United in the LA or Manchester City playing Sporting KC, Liverpool, um, other team Totten coming in and getting it done, it expands their brand uh, from Premiership League as they continue to look at inroads and broaden their brand. It uplifts the brand of MLS players that play well in those games, even though obviously it is a friendly game, but it can rise the stock of those players which means they can rise in terms of the quality of their skill set. And so I think this is a really good component. And um, uh, it's interesting to watch in a lot of ways because you get more information of teams uh, that people may not follow quite as much until they get into the championship part of the race when you look at the, the premiership league. But this keeps you on pace to see what's going out there with uh, MLS, Soccer on the biggest stage outside of the World Cup. I think this is a good thing to continue to watch and keep your eye on as and the game grows. And to, pick, and to piggyback that, uh, the Dynamo face Aston Villa this Saturday at uh, BBVA Compass Stadium, 8 o'clock, and they are part of the English Premier League. And I'm pretty sure it's going to be a large crowd. Yeah. To yeah. check out that match, and that you can friendly. see that uh, more teams from the Premiership League are coming over. Remember, four, three, four years ago, it was one or two teams. Now you're, you know, having six, seven, eight teams come over. So you can see that that it's paying off. It's big in terms of what they want to do, and it's just the opposite of what you see. You know, the NBA doing as they move over, playing games in Europe, playing games in China. Spreading the wings, the same thing as we talked about the NFL. So it'll be fascinating to keep your eye on this. We've talked in previous podcasts with even at the collegiate level, you see some of the bigger brand schools uh, right here in the state of Texas, with Texas looking at trying to expand outside on the global market. So not only are the top four professional franchises in the world, and obviously three in the United States, I, I add on the premiership. When I say top four in the world, when you look at Major League Baseball, the NBA, NFL, EPL, in terms of those leagues, looking at the globalization of the game. So it'll be interesting to keep your eye on and see how that goes. And also behind that, to see teams like the MLS, uh, also to add on it to a lot of, to shock to some degree, Major League Lacrosse, to see how that continues. Uh, to move, and what is the NHL going to do as they try to make sure that they hold on to control the space they have, uh, which in a lot of ways, in terms of the figures that are out there, uh, soccer and MLS is gaining on them. So it'll be interesting to see what the NHL tries to do. It will. NHL had a – this past season was very successful for them. Right. But – Not a lot of talk. And you but, had the right. two biggest cities involved in it. In, in New York, didn't quite feel it. You know, the Rangers in the, in the LA Kings, so in the cup final. Uh, real quickly, a little note on the press release about Aston Villa. 
Uh, they were founded in 1874. So we're talking history here. Yeah. They're one of a dozen founding members of the Football League, the world, world's oldest soccer league, as well as a founding member of the Premier League when it started in 1992. Yeah. So history is coming to Houston. And the match, the friendly, is part of uh, the Charities Cup. And the Dynamo last year won um, in last year's Charities Cup, beating Stoke City 2-0. So, listeners, if you're new to the podcast, we talk about a lot of different things here on these podcasts. We give a little taste of our knowledge on, on some some world football. Now we're going to get into some American football. Is that cool? Are we going to talk oh, about Oh, yeah. Or, or, or do you want to talk about the Wildcats' favorite old octogenarian and his second lawsuit that he's filing against the NBA and his wife? Hey, the man. He's not going away, Doc. <laughs> um, he will go away. He's We're talking about Donald Sterling, away. of course. Donald Sterling. Yeah, he's not going away fast as people would, uh, that are involved with the NBA mm-hmm. and those that were against what he said would like to. But no, uh, so it's going. It's, it's eventually going to end. Um, he's going to play it out as long as he can. Um, I think at the very end, Chris said that that was the way it was going to play out. You suggested that he was a fighter. Um, so uh, to yep. your credit, they okay. played it out, and um, I. Didn't say that I think he would fight, but my contingency at the end, at the very beginning, it's not really going to matter what he does. And I think he's just proven more to himself. To kind of tie this in, as you said, though, uh, with the other big-time professional sports of football, is you just had the announcement with Broncos' Pat Bowling stepping down with Alzheimer's. And that just shows you a juxtapose of class. Uh, He's dealing with Alzheimer's. Top organization. Yep. Haven't really heard anything negative about True. him. He kept it to himself for two years. Yep. He has a family with the trust. Yep. Uh, but he's done it in a, such a way uh, that it'll stay in the family's name. The boys are not quite early enough. I, I mean, excuse me, old enough to be in positions to really control it. So he's passing over to, to uh, President Joe Ellis, who will become the CEO. Um, so a lot of class in the way that he's done that, made the announcement. He said he never wanted it to be about him. He said he always wanted it to be about the Broncos, the fans, and in a lot of ways about the NFL. And sometimes, you know, the frustrating things I have about the NFL, this is one thing I will say that all parties in the NFL did this with class, which is just the opposite of what you see going on with Sterling. Uh, even those fans that try to support uh, individual fighting um, when you have never been a positive person for the league or what you've done outside the league. So even for somebody that would support an individual uh, and don't necessarily like the ideas of what has got him in the position, I just think it speaks volumes when you see and put those two pictures up against each other in a class and I won't even respond to words to describe that's, the way I see with Sterling. And that's a good analogy. That's a good analogy. I want to ask you about this. This quote from one of Sterling's attorneys yesterday. He's worth more than $2.5 billion without the team. If he was greedy, like about Sterling, he would take the money and run. That means the money from uh, the $2 billion sale 
from Ballmer, Steve Ballmer. It's not about the money. It's not even about wanting the team. It's showing everybody, if I have a conversation in my living room that's inappropriate, that's not a good thing. I shouldn't be awarded the Man of the Year award, but at the same time, my private conversation, and on top of that, my medical records, shouldn't be okay to release that to the world and use that to hang you with, end quote. Comments? To a certain extent, that's true. Depending on what the laws are in the state of California, which I am not familiar with, privacy of uh, privacy issues, it happened, it got out, and his, his claim to fame, or rather his disclaim, uh, and what got him in trouble was the what was said on that in that private conversation, and it went public, and it went to the point again it went to the point that um, he is in the process of losing his corporation, uh, his his business, over it all. Now the other thing that's starting to come out is that he's starting to have uh, financial issues concerning his real estate uh, holdings uh, with some debts and all that are due toward the end of the year and this sale will rectify all of that uh when all of this gets resolved nobody knows and or a, if or a, if a it, fool in his money it, it happened departed. it happened but while uh, a lot of what you say has some merit for me that statement with the lawyer really falls on deaf ears because People love to try to use this scenario that what was said in private. The problem with all that was is it became public. So you can try to ignore the fact that it came public. How and why, in this case, doesn't really matter from the standpoint it did. And as people like to ignore is the fact if I'm in business with you, Mm-hmm. Meaning that I chose and you chose mm-hmm. to partner with me. It does not matter. Mean that you have the unilateral decisions to do what you want. You join the organization, so you need to fall in line with the organization. If you don't want to fight in law with the organization, you need to find a business where you can be a independent entrepreneur owner. He made that decision at the very beginning. So, to me, his statements are the truth, but they fall on deaf ears. And that's why, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter that he continues to scream that because the eyes of the law are going to basically show that when you join an organization, that some of the unilateral decisions you have uh, that protect you against the government does not work in private organizational business practice. Now, so uh, the next point of business for the NBA on their part is the next is when the executive committee meets together to decide uh, whether the uh, whether vote is going to be cast. Am I right? Right, and they really don't want to take the vote. It's obvious. Well, they would have did it. Okay. They would like the sale to go through, um, and Sterling is playing on that. And so at some point, 
it's going to meet the ear and I think they'll probably try to stretch it out to the closest to the to the season as they have to uh if somehow they can get the court to make the decision for them which would take a lot off their hands but if not um I'm pretty sure they're going to they're going to take the vote and there's no question with it and I think as long as Sterling continues to do what he's doing I think he's going to even lose more people uh from the ownership side that may have supported him because at the end of the day they see the bad business and the negativity that it's bringing to the organization. So I think slowly but surely he's even eroding the the small amount of support he may have had. And I think the biggest argument with that is the report that came out that coach that first that the sponsor by the now CEO that's running the organization. Uh, in regards to that, that the um, sponsors that people don't realize that many people thought came back have, have not come back. back. That's right. Let's make that very clear that they said they would come back as long as Sterling is not part of this organization. That's the whole, the major component outside of the players not playing. And now we're hearing Coach Doc Rivers is saying that it's very likely that he wouldn't be a part of it. Nah. And whether that's true or not, I don't even okay. think you have to say. It's the fact that he put it out there as a card that's pushing the NBA to say, that do we want to take this risk? And if he goes, it's almost assuredly, which the players seem to be even closer to making the decision that they walk out. And I would suggest with people like LeBron James, uh, even as frustrated as I was with his decision to some degree, and these players, you know they're talking a lot in this offseason that how many of various teams with leaders from Durant and Oklahoma City will say that they're not going to play. Let's touch uh-huh. on that. Let me let me say this. Okay. The interim, I think the person's name you couldn't remember, the interim Clippers CEO, is his name is Dick Parsons. Right. And he had, he had said he was a witness. Former time on the table. That the testimony... Involving Shelly Sterling and her estranged husband. Yeah, there you yeah. go. <clears throat> and one of the things that he said was that he spoke to Doc Rivers and several players and key sponsors who are still troubled by Sterling still owning the team. <clears throat> and, you know, Doc Rivers has not been quoted as saying, but Parsons himself has said that Doc has mentioned to him that if Sterling is still the owner, that he does not want to coach the Clippers. And he coached and president of the Clippers, that he would step away as long as Sterling is the owner. Now, a few other things to touch on, because I read about this, but I'll get on the sponsors. Parsons said during cross-examination that uh, there were sponsors, there were specifically only six or seven sponsors had explicitly asked to be disassociated from the Clippers following the scandal. The team gave the remaining two-thirds a holiday, quote-unquote, before they felt compelled to disassociate from the franchise. But Parsons said many of the team's 20 or so sponsors have made it clear they want to continue a relationship with the team only if Sterling is replaced as owner. So basically... That's er big money. So basically everybody, there has been no pressure put on them by the current administrative staff as to when we need you all to make a commitment to our next season. It'll basically be when we get all this done, 
and no, hoping. No, they said that as long as going in the next season, they're not going to support it if he still remains the owner going into the season, which is Doc Rivers, the players, and the sponsors. So it's very clear. If you go in the next season with all these people on, and he's still the owner, you'll have some major problems. And you can think that it's not going to be a problem and people are just going to play. But if you're the NBA and the commissioner, you don't want to take that risk. And now what's also becoming interesting, you know I, I love the numbers. Now there's reports coming out that they're even questioning because, you know, Donald Sterling tried to come up and those that support him love to figure out whatever he talked about if it was true. And he said that he thinks that he could have gotten more for the for the team, $2.5 billion to $3 billion, when everybody told you $2 billion was absurd and off the charts and wouldn't work because he tried to associate it with the television money, which is a whole other issue because the Dodgers are having major problems with Time Warner Cable as they're trying to negotiate that deal. So that should tell people that are following it that his numbers are a little off. But now reports are saying that Bank of America, according to their books as they levy this, are questioning whether if you put this back on the open market, can you even get back up to, you know, $1.3 billion? Uh, that they're seeing it more around the $1.2, $1.6 billion mark. So um, if they put all this back to the books and you make the NBA make their chances uh, and they put it on the market, it's very unlikely to get $2 billion. And if you know anything about the owners, you got to remember the $2 billion that they get actually is, to a lot of degree, is split back between the current owner in terms of revenue sharing policy. So that means the $400 million um, to $8 million will be lost in terms of what could go in their pocket. How happy do you think they're going to be about that? Not very. Not very. So, you know, whether people celebrate in their own fashion in terms of Dollar Sterling and him fighting and they like to see him fighting, I think if you, every way that you look at this, uh, it's really sad in terms of what he's doing, and I don't care about his legacy, but what he's doing to his family in terms of the financial uh, hit that he's taking on his family. You add up to talking about some of his financial issues he's having with the real estate and the negativity that his grandkids are taking because of this uh, tells you a lot about Donald Sterling and the man in terms of how much this truly is about him and how he feels. And be damned, he don't even care. Let's take the estranged wife out of this, but not even about his immediate family, his children, his grandchildren. To me, says everything that you want to know about this man. We'll get great. And I'm glad you brought up the Bank of America stuff because I'm reading, I think, similar stuff. This, one more thing I want to add, courtesy of David Aldridge, and then we'll get into football. <clears throat> but Bank of America says, by using extremely generous projections, Including a listen to this stuff, Wildcat. You'll love this. You're, you're, really? You're a wealthy guy. Including a new local TV deal that Bank of America projects will go from 25 million to 125 million a year, and a 200% increase in the rights fees for a new TV deal, new NBA TV deal, which began in the 2016-17 season, an additional 160 million dollars in annual revenue is added to the team in future years. Bank of America says the new national TV deal could bring $90 million each to teams in the NBA, up from the current $30 million. 
including all these projections, the bank concludes that Steve Ballmer's eventual $2 billion is still more than seven times the revenue multiple of the enterprise value of the Clippers. That's what I'm telling you. So, so the, the, my, the only question that I shows you how much that $2 billion sale is way, way more than right. what everybody right. expected. Right. So you literally are taking money from your family off the table and you're spending it on legal things. So let me add this last thing to let you know how ridiculous a lot of this. This is Lester Munson, the analysis, the lawyer, the ESPN, well-respected. Great guy. In terms Great, of Great knowledge. Great knowledge. Put in. This is his statement. The latest Sterling lawsuit is laughable, both in the form and in substance. This is a direct quote from what he wrote and stated. It is badly drafted and fails to state anything remotely resembling a valid legal claim. But your lawyers obviously threw it together in a hurry. The various causes of action are the theory you use when you have no real solid theory for your lawsuit. The eleventh cause of action may have some minimal importance. And so that's just the thought of Lester Munson in terms of how ridiculous and as a professor of sport management that teaches a law class that wouldn't act that I have that much substance is aligned with everything I said, but I wanted to close in regards to Sterling and really let you know how little um, substance I have for what he's doing. And I'll say it again, not in terms of associate of what he says he's standing for, but what he's doing to his family. To me, it's sad. And his attorneys are just taking money. That's what they're doing. They're, you know, poorly drafting these suits. They're just taking his, his money. That's what they're doing. They're just wasting. They're wasting everybody's wasting the court's time, all these folks' time, and, the and getting paid. Judges have been saying this, but again, to me, the biggest villains in this, and anybody that has respect, no matter what you go. I mean, you have some gangsters, literally. Folk Street and some of the other gangsters that we, well, they don't even go to this level when it comes to their family. And they'll walk away or they'll take the heat to get everything off their family. This man won't even do that. Now, one final thing to wrap it up. David Aldridge talked to uh, Dr. Todd Boyd. Uh, You know, I think we both, all three of us, have much respect for it. Dr. Boyd, ask him what would the if this drags on till the season get close to the season starting in the fall, what he believes the players might do. Some players said, and David Aldridge has a quote from Union Vice President Roger Mason Jr. that um, players won't play; they will sit out. They will, as long as Sterling is an owner. Quote, if it's not handled by the start of next season, I don't see how we're playing basketball, Roger Mason told Jim Rome in his interview. And I believe that because in a lot of ways, we already talked about the fact that you said that they think (laughs) that the NBA itself is going to lock them out. So I think you have a lot of players that are quite frustrated. And the more that they learn not only how financially they lost, but in terms of what they – have to deal with the last two off seasons in terms of financially what they've lost, what they lost in terms of going to teams they want to and how they might want to partner. I think you have a lot of players that are a lot more frustrated in terms of 
what the owners made, and now they seeing also what these teams are selling for. Let's them know that these teams were a lot more valuable than what the owners tried to decide. So I think you got a lot of players that are a lot more in tune and a lot more aware in that way, and what you're finding out that they're a lot more frustrated. And this is a perfect scenario where they could do it in a way that they wouldn't take a lot of heat. Or something that they want to do anyway, in my mind. Because the one thing I've noticed with all this movement about players and all between teams and everything, the only thing, the only obstruction that the owners have seen is that cap number. Other than that, it has been the numbers that I can work with that number, I can pay that number there out. Boom, no problem. And 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 the players, okay, all they heard was I get my thirty-five million, and they even said I did my job. So now, if 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 what you like, if what you said comes to pass, hopefully this early salvo across uh, uh, across the bow toward the NBA from the players, if this happens to start this season, it'll be interesting what gets done between the start of the season and when the CBA comes up, because you can be damn sure that the owners would get together and says, okay, now we know what we're dealing with. We need to get together and make a decision on how it's uh, on. Yeah, they what need a, to what be approach. a lot more careful, uh, careful in terms of... Uh, especially public because the biggest thing they usually have on their side is they usually believe that the players are not as close. Right. And they can blindside. Right, as they think they they can be. hold out long because they right, they cause got more money than the players. Players right. got basking in habits, don't save right. all but that kind of stuff. The more things like this happens, the more the players naturally galvanize and come together, which is, as an owner is the last thing you want because then they start to learn. They've already talked about, as you said earlier in the last podcast, that many of them have changed the scenario where they get paid. Over the 12 months of right. the year, to they're stacked to 18. They're stacking money. So they understand what's taking place. So they're a lot more aware. I think the agents are a lot more aware of what's going on. Um, I also have heard that they're structured some of their off-the-field money differently. But some of that starts mm-hmm. to continue to come in because a lot of the organizations, like you see seeing uh, with the Clippers, they kept their agreement with the players. Because they see the branding of their players, whether they're on or off the field, a lot of ways still generates, to some degree, the money allotted to them. So this is fascinating to follow because this is going to play out more than what people think just what Donald Sterling, quote-unquote, is fighting for in itself. And the reason that um, the Player Association is recommending the players stretch out their payments in their new contracts, they learned it from the owners. In the previous negotiations, the owners had worked it out with the TV station networks that they would still receive money if there was a lockout. That's right. So that that is the player's mentality now is to look for that and to expect things like that and to make sure you have payments coming in if there's a lockout. That's right. Let's talk some. Oh, by the way, how can folks find you, sir? Who are you, and who are you? First up, since we've had that, that, that conversation in our early before we got going here, I am 
recognized as the Fifth Ward Wildcat. You can find me, the College Sports Report, online at at Blogger, Blogspot, and YouTube. In Facebook, Twitter, TweetDeck, as JL Woodley One or J Jerry Lee Woodley Jr. Doc? Yes, I'm Dr. Kenyatta Cavill, Professor of Sport Management. I can be found on the social media platforms of Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. That's Dr. Kenyatta Cavill, D-R-K-E-N-Y-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. Again, that's D-R-K-E-N-Y-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. You can email me directly or get on my direct email newsletter list. That's kcavill at thg-agency.com. Again, that's kcavill. K-C-A-V-I-L at T-H-G-Agency.com. And as we get closer to the season, I will let you know where you can find my information online in regards to the football season, particularly those that have an interest on following HBCU sports. And I am KG of the Houston Round Ball Review, website www.HoustonRoundBallReview.com, as well as www.T-H-E-H-R-R.com. Twitter is T-H-E-H-R Review. Houston Round Bar Review is my Instagram account. Houston Round Bar Review is me on YouTube. We have our KG Fifth World Wildcat and Doc Facebook page where we're posting uh, topics and things like that. So please, don't be shy to ask us questions or make suggestions on the uh, Facebook page. And I'm getting, like I said, the thing about MLS was one of the things we got uh, mentioned to us to uh, discuss and, and add that. One of my friends who was a supporter of us of these podcasts almost from the beginning. I think he was serious. I hope he was joking, but he said that he ex- via Twitter he said, "I expect a Vipers report on the podcast this season," referring to the Rio Grande Valley uh, Vipers Rockets. That's what D-League I thought he was <laughs> franchise. Wow, we gonna go there for him just because there was a request. We gonna make it happen. It's, it's, that team may be interesting. That team would be fun to watch. Only because of what, who may or may not make the opening day squad. This right. Year. True. That, that's going to make that team and real we, interesting. We can talk about the Rockets. I was surprised at how, I guess, big a deal the Las Vegas Summer League, NBA Dude. Summer League, was this, this summer. It Rockets and the Kings played in the championship game. NBA made it a, a much... Made an, an event, and uh, Vegas is the place to go when you do an event. And really? the Rockets, it's smart marketing. The Rockets, their Twitter account was was active throughout the summer well, league, they, throughout they, the championship game. And some is there. It and was, Ray McCallum Jr. was MVP of the the uh, Las Vegas summer league. Ray? Yes, he scored twenty nine points in the championship game to help the Kings come from behind. The Rockets, I wasn't watching. I was trying to follow via Twitter, but the Rockets. Blew a late lead in the fourth quarter. I think they were about like oh, well, five so and last three, four okay. minutes and lost. Nothing different then. Ray McCallum scored nine points in the fourth quarter. Whoa. Helped the Kings come back and win. Scored 29 points in the game. So, uh, it, I mean, it was a big deal. The NBA, their YouTube um, account, and even the Kings Twitter account. Put like this. The Rockets tweeted a congratulations to the Kings for winning the Las Vegas Summer League Championship. Yeah, I saw that. Wow. I saw that with your retweet. The in, and the NBA posted video to the the Kings celebration of winning the Summer League Championship. So what does this say about the NBA in terms of the Summer League? They found another venue 
to market their brand. That's what exactly. they've done. Is that, and they and if the, I can find the numbers, let me read this to you. They use the the Mac, which is the uh, uh, Thompson Mac Arena for the main event, and the uh, Cox Pavilion for the uh, uh, for league games. They use both buildings and all, but they are like right next door. All you do is walk out of the, walk out of the, the uh, uh, main concourse out of one one venue into the next without uh, being out in the weather. And I'm going to tell you, this time of the year in Vegas, it's kind of hot during the day. It's not, uh, uh, my extended family just got what back. What are your thoughts about uh, expanding the summer league uh, to some international summer league teams? That may happen. Only reason because this year, two years ago, they, they've had they've had teams participate, and especially in Vegas, they've had them participate. And that's when they were, so they, they didn't have as many teams participating. But now that they, it's kind of like league wide. They're taking it next. They're level. taking it next level because they it used to be, you know, it's, uh, Orlando, or now it's Orlando for two weeks or two or three weeks, and then. Right. Leave for now and, then, and go to Vegas to finish out. And it's competition, you, you and, know. And it's, it's good competition. The, the, the scoring, they, they, teams, they want to make it competitive, so they have, they award points per quarter and then points for winning the game as well. And then team with the most points advance to the championship. But from the NBA, so like press hockey? release. Hello, it's, it's all like, like C, uh, CBA used to be. They used to get points for scoring. Right. Okay. You get a point for winning the first quarter. You get a point for winning each quarter. Half oh, a point okay. for ties. Yeah. Then you get points for winning the game as well. But the NBA summer league shattered all-time records for attendance, NBA TV viewership, digital consumption on NBA.com and wow. NBA Mobile, and overall merchandise Marketing sales. that brand. Marketing that brand. From the from the press release. Marketing that brand. Yeah. Record attendance: seventy-one thousand. 942 total attendees, an increase of 16% from last year's previous record. That's huge. NBA TV viewership. Uh, 2014 was, was the most watched summer league ever on NBA TV, averaging 403,000 household impressions and 116 total. Forget all that. An increase of 40% and 28% respectively over last year. And the game That's that they a big were, deal. Games that they were hosting in, uh, in Cox Pavilion, if I'm not mistaken, I know it seats over 5,000. And they were pretty much, they were packed pretty much every Single day mark series. was 8,000 every, every 13 day. on Monday, July 14th. Willie, and I, I know that you are involved in terms of watching and covering uh, the games at the uh, Rockets at Toyota Center. And obviously you cover them from a media standpoint. For the listeners out there, what do you think is driving this? That's a good question. Oh, I'll give you two names right here. Jabari Parker and Andrew Wiggins. Speaking of, the Mavericks had a true international uh, situation. Uh, The uh, point guard from uh, native Japan that went to school here in the States. Playing, uh, uh, playing point guard for the play point guard for the Mavericks uh, summer league team this year. I can't think of his name offhand, uh, but he was featured pretty much every day that 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 squad that the uh, that the Mavericks played. He was a feature on uh, ESPN uh, on the radio and on the uh, Sports Center that that day, and on the NBA, uh, the NBA TV network. Before we leave the you know the NBA. We- 
we have to talk about who's going to get love. Well, I know the, the Cavs seem to be the front runner, and that may happen. But uh, would you the give Bulls, up Wiggins? The, the Bulls look like that's according been done. to Chris Sheridan. Would you give him? Up? Oh no, the Bulls have, I would. have an offer. I like this offer. Taj Gibson, Doug McDermott, Ooh. and Nikola Mirotic, who was oh. by some no. basketball people the top player in Europe. Yeah, so you like that and better? And he signed. You like that better than deal. Wiggins? Uh, last year's first round pick in another Anthony first Bennett. Round. Bennett in another first round. He scares yeah, me. Yeah, but you don't Literally, he scares me. Did he play me. well in the. He scares me. He's a bust. He, he did you don't think last he's going to get better. He did, what he did was he dropped weight. Can't get worse. He, dro- <laughs> he dropped weight this summer and looked better. Right. But, but as KG has often mentioned, it's the summer league. <laughs> Now, we were expecting Wiggins and he Japan. He gave me all these numbers on the summer league. But, uh, but <laughs> it's now, still the summer league. It's, it's still the summer league. <laughs> but now, folks, in the end, behind that, they've got high school tournaments now starting to start up right behind it. That's why they were trying to, they were pushing it out of there kind of quick. But uh, getting back to those three, Bennett has, well, I just hope it doesn't happen, but it looks like he will end up playing himself, a non-playing himself, right out of this league, and st- and being a journeyman, trying to catch on after this contract is over. So when you uh, when you get mad at people, do you send cupcakes? No. Nah. LeBron didn't. LeBron. I don't know exactly. He was. He felt bad about it. You know the the turmoil that the. His decision called the neighborhood and his neighbors and, and the police force. Well, I thought it was a nice gesture. It's, it's, it's nice gesture. Do you see? It's great marketing. Do you see cupcakes? No. Uh, and they were probably, you know, it, it, the gourmet kind, too. So, you know. Red so, Velvet? Yeah. You know, had his, <laughs> no, had his, own, chocolate, special his own special name with his name. Song flavors. Name. Yeah. Flavors. So, wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's, you know, so, LeBron, like my man is a brand. He got it going on. You know, he he's overseas now taking care of his brand and all right now. From what I saw today on Twitter, true. He <laughs> take care of this brand big. Eight hundred forty cupcakes that he sent to uh, neighbors, folks out in the streets, not sitting out there in their cars and everything. Little ginger ale with it too. So you know, so just walked it down. Let's see, made made a. Ba- I'm joking, a, but a I'm, baker I'm happy. About that. <laughs> yeah, seventy dozen cupcakes, fifty-five delivered to the neighbors, and the five delivered to uh, the police department. And this to the cards. Dear friends, we know that things have been hectic in our neighborhood these past few weeks, and we are sorry for the chaos. We are so thankful to live in this wonderful community, and we are so blessed to have unoffending neighbors like you. Each box contains six Just a Kid from Akron Cherry Cola cupcakes and six Home Court Chocolate Chunk cupcakes. Mm. Now, I have to add on that. For those listeners, if you did not actually see uh, Rovell, the ESPN guy that does a lot yeah, of Darren, 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 yeah, oh yeah, Mr. Businessman, businessman for the ESPN that gives a lot of great information. I follow him on Twitter. I think it's fascinating with some of the stuff he puts out there uh, quite a bit of the time. But he actually posted a picture of the card that he sent with the cupcakes. And as you talk about being a brand and marketing, he actually did the card in the form of what you see the new marketing 
style now where it has the pictorial of the thing. So at the top, when he talks about a lot of traffic, he had actually has about seven small miniature cars going across <laughs> the top. And then he has some pictures of little cupcakes and candles and things like that. So his card is actually done in that new marketing brand where you use the pictorial along with the words to tell your stories that you see uh, coming outside of the marketing realm a lot more, particularly that you see over the, the Internet. Who said this? Quote, enforcement is broken. The infractions committee hasn't had a hearing in almost a year, and I think it's not an understatement to say cheating pays presently. Big 12 Commissioner Bob Bowles. And you know what? Correct. He said that at Big 12 Media Day. He is correct. And saying so only because of the fact there is not a large group of folks that handle day-to-day enforcement in the NC2A on any level. It just isn't. And I agree with you that he's and, correct. And the only reason I can say that is because I know where those desks sit. And so does KG. That's a lot of work for that amount of people that sits on those at those desks on a daily basis. Yeah, and it's not even t- and folks, I'm talking about less than ten people. But it's a choice they make. They have more oh. money than anybody, and, and you know, and the sad part is, and they're not even paying the main part of the commodity. So uh, their business line is any different than any organization else. out there. So I don't want to hear it. But, but the major but, thing that I see what he said, though, whether you agree with it or not, is really. All he wants is what the Big Five been talking about all this time. They just want more control. Want to go their own way? It, and they looking to do so. It, I think you have to be careful in terms of saying they want to go their own way. They really don't want to go their own way. Yeah, they don't want to leave the NCAA tournament. And that's basketball. the why. That's exactly That is so a big you, money pot. All right, then I'm going to ask this question. Do you think that would be the only entity that would part, part of this, this whole situation of what they want to do? Will you think? Do you think that would be the deciding factor of whether they move on or whether they stay. It is the deciding factor why they won't go anywhere. All they're doing is filibustering, if you would, and trying to scare people with these scare tactics in such a way that they will get control. And according to the last vote that just took place last week, they're moving more in that direction. So everything they say, is about scaring people to the death that if you don't do what they say, that you're going to lose everything. But if you just look at the numbers financially, it is incredibly inconceivable that they would leave the NCAA basketball tournament because the money associated with it is too much in terms of the billion-dollar form for them to leave behind. But all they want is control, so they put all this little false out there. This is the same guy that is threatening um, to suggest that the Olympic sports will go away. This is behind when I just told you last week that each of these big five conference team members will double what they took home in revenue from the BCS. I'm not talking about other television money now. I'm not talking about conference money. I'm talking about they will double the money they took home from the BCS, which was like $25 million, to $50 million from the college football playoff. So 
get out of here with all this that the world is falling, things will die if we don't follow you. They just greedy and they just want more money. And I don't, frankly, I'm tired of hearing it. And I think a lot of people out there in a lot of ways are tired of hearing all these sad stories because it's just not resonating with most of the news media public anymore. In a lot of ways, with the general media that's hearing this, when they hear all the money, they just don't want to hear it anymore. It doesn't make sense. It's not adding up. Well, the next next committee meeting, and that's the way I'll put this, um, only because that's right now that's just what it is, Big Five committee meeting, is August 6th in New York City. Uh, Co- uh, Commissioner Bosley uh, mentioned that uh, they'll be getting together and, and uh, vetting some of the issues that are currently in place in college athletics. Uh, and he says the ins and outs of the lawsuits that are in play and right now in the Big 12 conference and several other conferences are defendants in seven class action lawsuits. Now he, and that number he is said growing that that all the time. Increase, and I agree with him, and that's why he's trying to scare everybody else. So you're exactly right, and I'm glad you put that out I mean, that out that, that's directly that's from his, uh, out of his word, uh, out of his mouth. Uh, this is quotes now that he meant, uh, had on uh, on. I've been saying that, and uh, it's not going to stop until they change the model. He's trying to protect what they're calling now the collegiate model, which is a manufactured term they use after the Olympic changed the amateur model, and they couldn't really get away with that anymore because it didn't work. So that lets you know how particular they are in terms of the amateur model and how they want to stay with it. They conveniently changed it uh, when it didn't work for their needs, and they changed it to a whole model that never even exists. They're talking about this malice collegiate model, meaning that uh, those that are in positions of power can generate all the type of revenues in a free market system as much as they want. But those that are actually embedded and working uh, on the field and courts of play uh, have to be forced to deal with just earning a scholarship um, in terms of that. One of the other things that he mentioned uh, on Monday was that uh, is, is that you might want to pay attention to this, this worse, uh, his quotes, I'm not sure it's happening in a any other conference. Uh, it wasn't uh, I've got to read the uh, com- uh, uh, officials committee uh, commissioner of the Big 12 and all after I get done with this. But on September the 6th, the uh, Big 12 will have will officially have its first female official working one of the the non-conference games. Her name is Kat Conti. She will be working at Southeast Missouri at Kansas game on se- on the September the 6th. And she is there because she is not there just because she's a female. She is there because she paid her dues, and she's really an outstanding football official. As you know, in the non-conference, has a number of playing dates where we need a large number of crews larger than what we need during the regular season. All I say is about time. About time. Good luck to her. Real, real quick, I want to touch on a few other things. One first. This is on mentioned on our Facebook page, listeners. No one responded to it. SMU head coach June Jones a few days ago commented that, quote, I think the have-nots, as in the non-Big Five power conferences, of which SMU is a member of the American Athletic Conference, yes. should go ahead and move to the spring. Talking football here, of course. Conference just USA. like the USFL did. Wag. 
I think that there is an opportunity to do a complete other side of that division. And I think that if we don't think that way as a group of have-nots, we're going to get left behind. I can see in five to seven years, possibly the public will demand to have the two leagues play, just like I think the USFL had in mind originally of the winner of the USFL playing the winner of the National Football League. End quote. Thoughts? Well, you know what? He mentioned that from a point of where he's been before, being as a uh, former coach in the uh, USFL that played in the spring. He speaks from a position of we'll not be getting into anybody's way. Football, people have always talked about football being a year-round situation. There's, there's, I guess the, the the way it would work would be if you could get things done uh, in the spring as far as readjusting, not so much schedules, but readjusting media out there. Uh, getting the network, the the uh, TV networks now to buy in. Well, I, I think the TV networks are going to buy in uh, because they you have so many competing against each other. They're all looking for inventory. Okay. So from that standpoint, mm-hmm. I think it'll work, um, I, and I think it'll be financially similar to what they're receiving now. The point that I like to think about what he said is the fact that at some point you have to decide that you're going to stand up for something. And, I agree. And if we've all been at the crossroads, these at big five are going to do whatever they want. You're going to have to decide: Are you going to fall behind and just do whatever they tell you to do and just be second-class citizen, or you're going to decide to make a change and try to do something else to see if it works? Let so me th- let me say this quote because you you're touching on it right there. More from June Jones. Quote, you make your own rules. Football is the number one sport on television right now, and the advertisers want live programming. They don't want Hollywood shows because you can TiVo out the commercials. Live programming is a hot topic right now, and I think there's a market for bigger numbers for the non-BCS teams. End quote. Now, what do you do with those things? Logistically, a whole bunch has to be discussed. But Jones said... If some radical changes are not made, he believes some non-Power 5 schools financially won't be able to compete and will start dropping football. I agree with that. I don't see how you're going to continue to compete if they're just stripping all the revenue. I mean, they're literally, and I say they're, I'm talking about the big Power 5 have consolidated, if you want to look at business terms, almost like OPEC. And they are literally pricing everybody else out the business. I don't see how else you can see this. I mean, you almost have to be blind unless you think you actually have no other choices. So I'm saying if you get to a desperate point, you start looking at desperate things. And to suggest that just because it's hard that you shouldn't try it, it's the NCA. It's your own body. You vote. All you do is change the rules. If you want to be able to recruit a kid that doesn't go to the Big Five, you just set up the rules of when you can recruit them for if you're playing in the spring. It's not that hard. They're guidelines and rules. You just switch the dates. Well, now, a lot of folks, including Michael Resco, commissioner of the <clears throat> American Athletic Conference, shot, the down, shot down the idea, said they had no chance. But I think the discussion has begun. 
And I think there are other people who, like June Jones, believe we need to do something. That's what Doc just said. Instead yeah. of sitting on our butt and, and I'll I wait think for it to where be it's get interesting is when these presidents start to see how they start to hemorrhage and all their money that they're playing to these athletic directors that are just saying fine, they're going to start asking some tougher questions from the athletic directors in terms of telling me how you're going to generate me more revenue. And that's going to start to changing some of these athletic directors outside of the Big Five, their thought process. Now, what I think is even a bigger question is to the FCS. I was running the numbers. If you remember under the FC, uh, FBS program, the BCS program, the FCS has gotten money. I always said at the time it was hush money. They would get at least $200,000. Under this new proposal for the playoffs, the FCS teams get zero money. If you look at the financial aspects, the big five power conferences are getting almost 80% of the money. Strength of schedule is a key component in the new college playoff four. Now. And because of that, as Doc touched on, FCS, FCS schools will are the big five is encouraging their members to no longer schedule those FCS but, schools. For whatever and reason. Eventually, it will go away. It will be less of a discouragement. As of the next two years, because teams in the SEC have decided they don't want to just kill those contracts out, they are still scheduling it. Right, that's for two and years. Then, but that's but not going to mean it. Wait until the first that, time that the SEC team, SEC team gets left out of the Final Four oh, see, because they didn't have a and strong I think enough that's conference happen, schedule. I think it's going to happen this year because... See what happens to those FCS I don't teams then. That will be an undefeated team. This, this is fun. I don't think there'll be an undefeated team this year, and and nowhere in uh, in Division One. Florida State has the easiest shot. Maybe Oklahoma State, but my gut. Tells I'm not saying they have the easiest shot. Well, I don't think you have is. to be undefe- undefeated in this new. All you have to do is find a way in to be in most polls to be in the top four. And you're gonna find yourself in a position which gets where me, this board is gonna argue for you. Which gets me to, I got two points, and then to wrap it up, uh, acknowledging a Cougar legend. That's what we're gonna end the podcast. Acknowledging that Cougar yep. legend. Got that notice last night. Before we do that, second, no, the second, no, my second, my one of my last two points. The Big Twelve touting their slogan is one true champion. Ten members, they play nine, nine division, game, nine conference opponents, and SEC only plays eight. They don't have a conference championship game, but they find a way in other conference. Well, I don't think they do. All the conference members in the Big Twelve say we don't need one. We are a true champion. The Big Twelve, Art Browse, your man, Wildcat, Art Browse says you go nine and zero in the Big Twelve. You're in the Final Four. If you Texas or Oklahoma, thank you for saying that. Now, and they're put, it, it, now it's been suggested that that they may make it. They Oklahoma haven't. Now. The league hasn't played for a championship since two thousand nine, and haven't played for the championship and since two thousand nine. They haven't won that's it important. since two thousand five. That's, that's Texas important. both times. Because you got to remember, you have individuals on this panel that's sitting up here, and so they're going to look for ways to negate certain teams based on balance. So if you have teams that have the same record that you perceive as being stronger and may have played in a championship game, who's going to get the nod? Here we go with more info. 
A Big 12 team has finished in the top four once since 2010. Baylor, in terms of strength of schedule, the Big 12 has only two teams, Iowa State and West Virginia, in the top 10 based on opponents' 2013 winning percentage. Compare that, the SEC has seven in the top 20. The ACC has eight in the top 30. Baylor is 67th in schedule strength. And that's who I'd be scared of. Oklahoma. If I was Baylor. Oklahoma, the preseason Big 12 favorite, is 93rd. I think Oklahoma, though, because of the brand. Because of Oklahoma. Because of Oklahoma. If they win the championship, they're in the top three or four teams in the country. Especially when you look at how they ended the season beating uh, Alabama last year. Yeah. And Stoops uh, did a nice little dig. <laughs> oh, yeah. He just, it, I heard him today. I heard him this morning. I heard him this morning. You know, I, he, I didn't see them saying that uh, you when know, Alabama went out and scored their first touchdown. But but, but the reason I'm saying this, and you have this little uh, be a part of the team for Baylor, as they were excited about their foundation, they should be. Uh, as they're building that new stadium in hey, my home town of Waco. I pick up information oh, where we, I can. We need to have it. That's how we discuss and stay on top of things. But if I was Baylor, in that same scenario with that strength of schedule, mm-hmm. I would be real nervous when it came to the end. If I was a four or five team, and if I was trying to get into this final four. Perfect example. UT opens the season against North Texas. I, no, I, we don't, I, have, we don't I, have to go that far. The only reason I'm saying that. No, listen to this and answer my question. The only reason I'm saying that. Listen to this. Alabama. Uh-huh. Ohio State. Uh-huh. USC. Uh-huh. And LSU. Uh-huh. And Baylor. Uh-huh. Who gets left out? Baylor's going to get left out. I missed my case. Next. You got to say that enough. That's all I need to say. And you, and you, you didn't even say Florida State. Sorry, you didn't say Florida State either. Yep. So, yeah. They're going to get left out. Okay. They're going to get left out. And the more that happens, you will hear presidents and Big 12 coaches Expansion. and alums say, Expansion. we need a championship game. Sure right. Expansion. You hear expansion, you, you hear expansion first before you hear the championship that's game. That's good for U of H from this standpoint. Because I don't think there's any team out there that brings the revenue associated with a new market other than BYU. So I think it puts U of H and BYU in very good position. Not necessarily what you look for traditionally in terms of expansion, but I don't really see anybody else out there that gives you a new market. So now you're going to look at the next best thing, which is what they're doing with the facilities of U of H, the Houston market, and then you would take what you could get out of maybe BYU now, in terms of that. Because so, I hear so that's something. the string. If I was oh, we got to okay. wrap and it up and here. I, I got two right. more things to touch on. So. One, one last thing: Washington State, two hundred uh, two hundred plus million dollar new facility, athletic facility on campus. You better win. That's a lot of money to, that you hadn't had, you hadn't found before. That's because and, of this new television and, money. And, and all of a sudden, we'll we'll talk about that more. Uh, as Pac-12 comes out oh, yeah, week with Pac- all that stuff. Yeah, Pac-12 money. They, they TV money, that's, 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 huge. that's the most money right Before there. Before you close out, I do want to share this. We didn't even admit, I know we're uh, getting close on time, but I I feel remiss if I didn't throw a little something in there for football for the HBCU. Oh, please do. Uh, preseason Offensive Player of the Year was Benjamin Anderson, the quarterback from Arkansas Pine Bluff. Remember two years ago. Who was all second team. 
Yeah, I, I, I'm glad you said it. I still don't understand that. First team was Prairie View, Jerry Lovelock, so they should be in the hunt. And stop right there. Yeah. Jerry Lovelock, first team, was not named <laughs> Offensive Player of the Year in the SWAC. Whereas the Doc, Doc, Offensive Player of the Year in the SWAC was named second I, I team. I am. I am. And only because of the, only, only, don't put this on me. Only reason I'm putting All it on I do you. is share the information, but I thought it was ridiculous. I text Chris when we talked about it the first day, and he just almost you fell. Know, off the phone, I, when I'm I, glad he didn't break the phone. I saw that. That's ridiculous. I'll be honest with you. It, yeah. And I'll be done with it. And when I saw that, I was like, really? Hey, you can't explain it. We don't even it's want to spend time That's, that's how I be explaining it. It's the swag. And y'all get mad at me when I get, get crazy now. No, we no. not mad at we Unfortunately, we, what's sad about it is you're starting to expect it. Yeah. Let me finish with this. We're running back Courtney Brown. We're partnering with Prairie View in this area. Offensive lineman, Deleon Benet, uh Prairie View on the defensive side. The long Texas Southern player uh, uh, on the defensive side of first team. So that's where they're going to try to build their brand in terms of a team this year. Two players, defensive lineman Amir Bloom from Texas Southern and defensive back Brandon Thomas will try to get it done. In terms of Prairie View, on that side of the ball, defensive first team players, Jerome Howard, Prairie View. So if Prairie View can get anything on the defensive side, look for them to make some noise. What brings us to the preseason defensive player of the year, which is Courtney Berry, a linebacker for Alabama State. So when we look quickly at the uh, prediction or order of finish, starting at the east from top to bottom, Alabama A&M was bringing up the rear. Uh, Mississippi Valley State, that's Coach Comagy that came over from Jackson State this year. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. A lot of people will have their eyes on that Jackson State-Mississippi Valley game. Jackson State, as we just talked about them, they're third in terms of pulling up the rear. That's Harold Jackson, new coach there. Alcorn State Braves, remember they had a nice season with eight wins. Uh, many people were, didn't give them so much credit because two of the wins were against uh, Division two or less programs in the NAIA type. But they have a quarterback, Gibbs, right here out of uh, Houston, Booker Houston. T. Houston, Booker T. Washington. So uh, John Gibbs is getting it done, so watch for him to see if he can make a mark. But they have Alabama State finding a way to get it done. It is close in terms of predicted order finish between Alabama State and Alcorn, separated by only two points, 93 to 91. Down to the west where a lot of people in Houston would probably have a great deal more interest. They're still trying to figure out how to bring that Grandma State program back. As the uh, uh, illustrious Ralph Cooper would say, they're not playing football in Grambling right now. And number safe. four is Texas Southern. We need to push them in terms of getting a little more interest there, but they should be better this year. They're going to see if they can make a statement to fight out of it. But until they get those scholarships back as they come off of that NCAA punishment, looks like they still have some work to do. Oddly enough, you have the first and second team quarterback. They're only respected uh, ranked Say it again. Yeah, third and second uh-huh. with all that offensive power. So they believe Southern, who is ranked number one, must going to get it done on the defensive side. So I thought that was an interesting pick. But Arkansas Pomble at three. Prairie View at two Swag. and Southern number one. So a um, little interesting there, but Swag. want to give some love there. MEAC comes out Friday, so next podcast for those MEAC HBC Division One listeners, I'll give you that update then. Next. Tennessee State out of the OVC is picked uh, third, respectively, in the OVC. Okay, next the last thing I want to bring up. This is about Conference USA. Commissioner Britton Banowski quotes, uh, you know, are you saying, saying that they are part of the call us the second five and not the, the big five, the power five. Quote, a couple of things here real quick. Our five conferences and their five conferences have a lot of history together 
and we've always found a way to get in a room and to be good listeners and to work it out. Said this at Media Day this Wednesday. I also think having 60 schools together is just not enough for them to be able to have a base from which to operate. You need a bigger base. End quote. We are in transition from commentary alignment to system realignment. Wildcats' favorite football coach, Rice head coach David Bailiff, said Conference USA has, quote, to be number six. We've got to figure out how to be the best of the other five leagues. Why do you say that? Because the new college football playoff has the 10 FBS leagues contractually obligated to for 12 years. That agreement guarantees a spot in one of the CFP's six bowl games for the highest ranked team from among the mid-major leagues, which include Conference USA, the Sun Belt, Mid-American, Mountain West, and the American Athletic Conference. That includes consideration for one of the national semifinal games. That's Conference USA. See if they can do that. He says they got to be better than the American and the Mid-American. Those are the top two. Top two. Top two right there. Conference USA, Mid-American, and the American. What about uh, Mount West? Mount West. Not 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 this year. No. Oh no. No, they, they, they got troubles. They got issues this year. Football is not on their mind. And then next. <laughs> yeah, I said it. I, when I see you. They're saying, yes, good. I'm glad you said that. Talk about scholarships for full cost of attendance. But now he says he feels his league, Conference USA, is farther ahead than even the national discussion. Since leaders of Conference USA schools have discussed full cost of attendance for more than a year and the support. Bonoski said the difference between full cost of attendance and scholarships awarded at the CUSA 14 schools range from $1,500 to $5,000 based on an average of 230 scholarship athletes in all the sports. That could mean an extra $345,000 to $1.15 million added to athletic budgets in CUSA depending on how the rules are structured and how they are applied by each school. This is based on the NCAA board of directors set to vote August 7th on basically the autonomy that Doc has mentioned on podcasts previously, numerous podcasts. So I wanted to throw that out there. Lastly, a Cougar, a Houston Cougar legend. Yep. Passed away. Robert Newhouse. You can carry a touch on this if you want to, sir. You can elaborate. You probably no problem. Uh, add more details to this. A few things I remember about Mr. Newhouse. 64 years of age when he passed away. His thighs were just massive. 44 inch thighs. That is mind blowing to me. That's biggest in the league. And I'm talking about the NFL. That's bigger than Earl Campbell. Yes. But Newhouse in his Cougar career, God bless him, he holds the uh, Cougars <laughs> single season rushing record. With 1,757 rushing yards in 1971. That's 40 plus years. Record still holds. Still stands. That's amazing. He led her to U of H from 69 to 71. Was team captain. And earned second team All-America honors. for the, Check this out. For the 1971 Blue Bonnet Bowl team. Remember the Blue Bonnet Bowl? Yeah. I remember, I remember that bowl. New Year's Eve game. They don't have them anymore here locally. In, in addition to yeah, locally, now. locally, yeah. In addition to a single season run. Yeah. Newhouse also holds U of H records for 100 yard rushing games in a, in a season, 10, and a career, 16, 
and consecutive 100-yard games in a season, seven, and a career eight. And he had four 200-yard rushing games as a Cougar. May he rest in peace. He is part of the school's Hall of Honor, which was inducted in 1977. Wildcat, the floor is yours. Great man, great kid, great player, great Cougar. Uh, when I got the email on last evening, I had to sit back uh, and kind of like gather myself. Only because I had watched him while he was a Cougar and while he was in the league. I still wasn't a Dallas Cowboy fan, but because Newhouse was a Cougar, played here at the U of H, and I got a chance to see him, I was a Robert Newhouse fan. And to see him do what he did against Southwest Conference teams during that time, folks, should have been a law against that. Because when it came to moving folks out of the way, getting that extra yardage, Robert Newhouse could get that done. Uh, he was a team leader, a very astute young man, spoke well. Uh, matter of fact, while I was in school, uh, he came and, and spoke. It's interesting how uh, he was able to get his point across. And when he was asked a question, he didn't take it, you know, like some guys will. I just had some kid now asking me a question. So, you know, being kind of funny, he took time, thought about it, gave an answer. I like that. I did. Um, and it went a long way. Um, and now that I'm in this business on, on this side of it, it makes me appreciate to, when I, I'm acknowledged and a player says thanks. You know, I had, I hadn't thought about it that way, but I will. And, now that you've given me time now to answer, I'll answer it this way. And the one thing that I've learned over the years, and Robert Newhouse taught me this, because he mentioned it at one of those, uh, one of his speaking uh, gatherings. Don't butcher a name. If you can't pronounce it, ask the kid. He pronounce it for you, and then move on from there. But always take time out for kids. I'll take time out to give an answer. Doc, anything you want to add? Yes, I just hear the reverence that you have for Mr. Newsom and Newhouse. With Newhouse. Newhouse. In regards to uh, how he played the game and how he lived his life. And anytime you hear that, I do remember some of the film that I saw on him. He was a spectacular player, and as a Cowboy fan, I always will hold that high in terms of. Uh, some of the first teams that I fell in love with watching Cowboys was because of the way he played the game. So that's the last thing I'd like to leave out there is the fact that uh, with much respect and rest in peace. And, and lastly, I want to read this quote from a current Cougar head coach, Tony Levine. We are very saddened to hear of the untimely passing of one of our own, Robert Newhouse, an accomplished and talented member of the Houston football family on the field. He's also an example to our current student-athletes on how to live life off the field. Our thoughts and prayers go out to Robert's wife, Nancy, and their four children. End quote. Rest in peace, Robert Newhouse. We're going to close out 
our podcast. Thank you very much, listeners, for listening. Uh, continue sharing the links and retweets and tweets and our postings on SoundCloud.com, on iTunes. We'll have our next podcast in a few days with more football info. Talk about the Texans and, and uh, Cougars have the media day coming up in, uh, I think, six days, five or six days. Yeah, August the 2nd, I think it is. Not, well, Houston, yeah. The American will be, I think, on the 28th. 28th, right. yeah. So, yes, the Cougars football day, football media day will be August 2nd. Correct. And then we talk about, I think, they have a fan, appreci- fan appreciation day as well. August by the, uh, 4th. Oh, by the way, listeners, Cougar alums, I challenge you. I have my tickets. I bought my season tickets to football. Yes. So get yours and come out and support the Cougars. What are you going to say, sir? Uh, I was hoping today didn't happen. The last three, three days didn't happen as far as the weather. Uh, we were invited by the uh, uh, new stadium, by the, uh, the uh, Cougar staff. And the day that we went by, because it had been delayed four days just because of the weather, uh, we had talked to the supervisor and the uh, uh, superintendent. They, are, they were hoping to have the, the uh, both banks up and running by the end of this week, but that won't probably, probably happen just because of the weather. But barring anything further, by the end of by the second of August, there will be lights on both sides of the stadium lit up, and it'll look nice. And the, the uh, field should be complete by that time. Fantastic. Because it will be a sight to see. They've got oh, and the uh, the one the question that was a, had been asked to me, and we we all asked the same question. The outlook port on the northwest corner, looking toward downtown, will always stay open. Everything else can be filled in except for that one port. That will be a, the Cougar Stadium signature outlook. And the uh, press box suite areas will be very nice. Very nice. You got a lot of room and a lot of space. I'm done. Thank you, sir. Wrap it up as always do. In conclusion, be true, be cool, and do more.